Hey, everybody, you're listening to the Cross Culture Podcast, where we have conversations to help Christian leaders create a cross culture in their church. Wherever you're listening from, we hope that this conversation helps you take the next step of embracing God's beautiful, diverse vision for your church. Let's dive in. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Cross Culture Podcast. And today I have with me a familiar voice and a guest co-host today. We have back with us Courtney LeRae. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome back, Courtney. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Amen. Amen. What What are we talking about today? Today we are talking about why it is important to develop leaders. Mm hmm. So. I'm going to be taking over today, and I'm really excited about that. She's not taking over. Part of the takeover. <laughs> we talked about this before the podcast. She's not taking over. But I'm <laughs> she just, be- <laughs> she's, she's just helping out. She's just helping out. So I'm going to be interviewing you today, and I'm super okay. excited about it. All right, because I got some good questions. I know you do. <laughs> I know you do. So our first per- our first question is: mm-hmm. Why is it important to develop leaders? Okay. All right. Start in uh, big picture. So. Man, I, so I think every church, whether you're a cross-cultural church, an intensely diverse church or not, I think every church, every organization really that wants to survive needs to develop leaders because no one will be anywhere forever, mm. right? And um, if you have a healthy organization or a healthy church, you'll be reaching more people, which will require more people involved in the administrations of the gifts of the church, right? So um, if you want to reach more people, you need more people to reach more people. And so um, developing leaders is, it's, it's, it's something that's non-negotiable for any healthy organization, especially a church. And I say especially because um, the command to make disciples in Matthew 28 is a command to give away ministry. So Jesus was talking to the apostles saying, hey, I don't want y'all doing the work of ministry only. I want y'all to teach all these new folks everything that I have taught you, right? Don't keep anything to yourself. Teach them everything that I've taught you. We see this in Paul telling to Timothy to to raise up men, faithful men who can teach others also, right? And so we see this idea of, hey, the, the mark of a good, healthy leader in a good, healthy organization is more people being deployed for ministry. And for a church, it's non-negotiable because that's what the Great Commission is. It isn't get people to show up to your service. It's equip people to do ministry, which is the definition of a, of a church leader. So someone who's equipped to do ministry. So mm-hmm. it's non-negotiable. And I think that's why it's important. For sure. That's a really good answer. I thank you. I appreciate that. That's <laughs> really encouraging. <laughs> Will Plunk don't never tell me how good my answer is. <laughs> Step it up, Pastor Plunk. (laughs) Um, So the next question is kind of based on um, just you being able to develop leaders, um, both in the secular world um, and in the church at this point. um, How does it differ developing um, leaders in a a diverse setting versus Mm -hmm. um, not? Yeah. So I think that's where things start to get a little interesting is in a diverse setting, the resume is not enough, right? Mm. The list of accomplishments is no longer the singular prerequisite for promotion, right? Because in a non-diverse space, it's, think about it in a, in a business, right? Hey, have you met your sales quotas? Have you met your development goals? Have you met your quarterly performance, like the metrics? Like, have you been able to do the things, Right. And in a kind of a homogenous church setting, we're looking at ministry success, right? If you're over 
one group, does that group multiply? If you're over the, the student ministry, does the student ministry grow, right? And so we're looking at, hey, have what you've done been effective, right? In a diverse setting, not only are we looking at effectiveness, because that still matters, now we have to look at not only the growth, but what kind of growth happened, right? So if you are a group leader and, you know, your group multiplies, and okay, maybe this group leader can be promoted to another level of leadership, now we can't just look at did the numbers go up, but now we got to look at the details. Is that group as diverse as we want it to be? Or did this group that started off diverse end up becoming mono ethnic, monocultural, and we just end up with two all anything groups, two all white groups, two all black church, two all young people groups, right? Um, did that leader's culture influence the type of success? that we're looking at. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And so not only do we have to look at competencies and effectiveness, but now we have to look at, are we multiplying the right things? Not just are things multiplying, not just is the church attendance growing, but is our diversity and our balance being maintained? Right. And so I think that becomes harder because now it becomes another level, another layer of complexity where we can't just look at success. We've got to look at the type of success because we have defined success differently. Right. Success for Radiant Church isn't a thousand people showing up on a Sunday and having a church that's 95 percent one ethnicity and five percent like that would still not be success for us. And so we've got to now be critical and we've got to interrogate even success to determine is this leader really a good fit for the next level or have they actually done something harmful that looks like success? And so it becomes more difficult because now we're looking beyond just competencies, beyond just success, beyond just a resume. Now we got to look at the details of what that looks like in practice. And does that align with the type of church that we want to be? Mm, that's good. You said something that kind of um, triggered a thought, which I feel like not because you're my pastor and you're like the best pastor in the world, <laughs> but because <laughs> but because I really feel like you've been really effective um, you mentioned like different types of groups or different types of infinities. You have different ministries in the church um, and kind of starting off, especially like as a church planter, like speaking to the pastors who are church planters mm -hmm. and have to be the everything mm -hmm. and have to also, um, even if you have people, you still need to be able to lead um, these people that you have in their different infinities. Like, can you speak to what all is required for that pastor to maybe um, grow in that moment, like research, like what all did you have to do in order to lead effectively across affinities, like in mm. the beginning before yeah. you had people? So how, what, what, did, what kind what did I have that was, that kind of equipped me to lead across different cultures and ethnicities? Um, yeah. The ethnicities, yes, because yes. our churches. Multicultural, <laughs> right? Yeah. But also in the church, the uh -huh. different um, infinities. So, like, yeah. we have children's ministry that you had a big hand in. You mm -hmm. had worship, which you had a big hand in. You were also doing the sound and sometimes playing the drums <laughs> and, like, you know, all doing the all the things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so, I think there's some things that I did well, some things that I have learned from that hopefully others can learn from as well. So, I think one is. Exodus 18, right? Uh, Moses's father-in-law sees Moses doing all the administration, making all the decisions. And he says, hey, man, like, that's not good, right? That's not good for you to be doing this. You should raise up other people, right? Now, I, that's true. 
leaders need to raise up other people. And honestly, I did not do a great job of that. I held on to ministry for too long. I think I was too involved in too many things for far too long. But I think the overreaction to that is just as harmful, where you try to give ministry away too quickly. So Exodus 18, Moses' father-in-law is saying, hey, bro, get some help, right? Get other leaders, empower them. But when the people of God were wandering through the wilderness, it was Moses. Like, be clear, Moses had the vision from the mountaintop. Moses heard from God and spoke to him face to face, the word of God says. Like, it was Moses's clarity about the, about the, the direction of the promised land that allowed the people of God to exit out of bondage and head towards the promised land, right? So we know Moses didn't, didn't end well, but it was on Moses. And so I think, especially in a multicultural context, especially a cross-cultural church, right, that's trying to hold both the, 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 the truth of Scripture and the the reality of difference in both hands, I think you have got to find some place where as a leader, you can cast a clear and compelling vision. And sometimes that will require you to give more direction than if you are in a mono ethnic space. Hmm. For example, most people who join your church as a church planter, who come on your staff, who are volunteer leaders, most people who want to be part of a diverse church have never been part of a diverse church before, right? And so they don't really know what they're doing, right? That worship leader that you got lead in church planter, they may, they may love this idea of being a diverse church. They may never have led worship in a diverse place. That kid's person that you got serving, they want, they're excited about the vision. They're excited about what you're doing, but they have never done that before, and so as a leader, especially in the early days for church planters, you have you have got to be the Moses in the wilderness. This is where we're going. It's not a democracy. We're not talking about where we're going. We can talk about how we get there, but where we're going is settled because I have seen a clear vision of how to get there. The hard part becomes transitioning from Moses in the wilderness to Moses in the promised land, mm. where now you have got to you've got to almost make yourself smaller and you've got to give that ministry away. And so where and how you do that, I mean, I I don't I haven't done a great job with that. Be honest with you, so I'm still <laughs> learning about when to hold on to things, when to I will say this. Uh you should probably give away ministry before you're ready. Um, that's a general rule of thumb that I believe is true. Um, I believe you should give guys a chance to preach before they think they're ready. I believe you should put people in charge of stuff before you think they're ready, um, before you're ready to give it away. And so I, I do know it, it won't ever feel like the right time. But in a diverse space, like it does feel a little more prescriptive, especially in the beginning, because right now people haven't seen the thing that they're here for. And you've got to help them see it before you can trust them to lead it without your kind of influence and direction. And so um, that's that's kind of what I would say about to church planners who are trying to build this team is you may have to be a little more involved, but you've, you've got to eventually transition from the most leader in the wilderness to the leader in the promised land and giving that ministry away. Yeah, I completely agree. And that kind of brings us like into the next question of like how important it is that your leaders embody like vision and mission mm-hmm. and mission um of the church could you speak to what it looks like like how can i identify that this person is on a vision and mission and understands like are there yeah. any um things that kind of show like oh i see this person they're doing this thing like what does that look like yeah. So I think the, the first thing is a good question um, is how do we recognize leaders who are in alignment? Because uh, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about mm-hmm. alignment. So I think a lot of people can be successful, but out of alignment. 
right? You can be good, but out of alignment. And so this isn't a knock on anybody's skill set or experiences or values. It's just about alignment. Like, hey, you're good at what you're doing. It's just not what we're doing. And so, mm-hmm. uh, so we're talking about just how do we measure alignment? I think it first starts with you've got to have clear language about what your mission, vision, and values are. Like, and it can't just be some theologically pure loaded stuff that nobody can remember that's not that nobody can understand that you preach on once a year like as a as a leader you've got to have a clear clearly stated values right if you're the lead pastor then those need to be the church values if you're a team leader then you need to take those church values and maybe come up with some compelling statements that apply to your ministry right hey here's what the worship ministry is about here's what the kids ministry about and that's in alignment with the bigger broader vision but you've got to have you got to start with having clear language of what this ministry it exists to do. Mm. Then you've got to talk about okay, if we exist to do this thing, how are we going to get there? Right? That's the difference between a mission and vision statement. By the way, a vision statement is where we're going. A mission statement is how we are going to get there. Let me give you an example. Radiant Church's vision statement, where we're going, is Radiant Church exists, right, to see every man, woman, and child have multiple opportunities to see, hear, respond to the good news of Jesus Christ without coming or going anywhere. Like, that's what we hope happens. Now, there's lots of ways to do that, right? We're talking about gospel saturation, reaching the city. There's lots of ways to do that. The way that we have decided to do that is our mission statement, right, to make and mobilize believers for the good of the city and the glory of God, Right? So we could do it a programmatic approach. We could have, hey, man, we're going to be this mega church to have 15,000 people showing up. We're going to gather resources to, to start ministries. Like that is one way to do that. Our, our mission statement, the method that we have decided to take to that vision statement is, hey, man, we're going to mobilize people. Instead of centralizing people through a programmatic approach, we're going to release people, right, and kind of a every man reach where they live, work, and play type approach. I'm not saying it's better or worse. It's just the way that we've taken it. So because of our vision and because of our mission, we are looking for a certain type of person, a leader who really believes in big budget programs and kind of has a seeker friendly type of bent towards their ministry or their leadership, maybe really effective, just won't be aligned with what we're doing here. Hmm. Let me give you an example of how this plays out. Um, our uh, One of our, our group's champion. Shout out to Brian and Maggie Haver. They whoop, rock. Whoop. <laughs> yep. Um, we were having a, they were having a conversation <laughs> with some folks, and there were some folks who were like, hey, man, Radiant Church needs this thing, right? Um, you know, hey, what about this ministry? What about this program? You know, Radiant Church to start this thing. Um, and the Haver, they were just like, hey, we are Radiant Church. Like, we can just do this. This is a need in our community. This is a need in our families. Like, we don't have to, like, stamp church on program on this thing. Like we can just do this. And so they scheduled on their own an interest meeting to start this ministry. Right now that may seem some pastors, that's kind of scary. Like, Oh, we got Christians out here doing ministry without our approval. But for us, that's actually what we want, right? We want to release people for ministry. Now it happened to be uh, a particular type of ministry that needs some of the support and resources of the church. So we're actually going to bring that in and support it and fund it and all that, all that kind of stuff. But that kind of thinking of, Oh, we're out the church. Right. Like we can just do this. We don't have to send an email about, hey, Pastor Philip, do this thing. We can just do this. And so that type of thinking is okay, that person is an alignment. Right. And so I will take alignment <laughs> over competency every day. Right. Because you can always teach somebody how to do a thing, but for people to embody an ideal, that's something that they just got to work out on their own. And so when you find somebody like that, you just got to, you got to pull them in. You got to pull them in. So it is incredibly important to go back to your question that any leader, especially in a multi-ethnic space, 
in a cross-cultural church, like that there be alignment almost as a non-negotiable prerequisite before you look at competency, success, personality, all that other stuff. Mm, that's good. What would you say are like some barriers for people to um, live? I call it living on mission. Like yeah. we not like a church. We are a church and mm. like, I'm like not, a family. We yeah, are family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like a church. We ain't like a church. <laughs> I mean, it felt like that in the early days. Like when we was first For playing, sure. <laughs> we were struggling. I know we don't look like a church, but we are. Come we back. Are a church. Come back so we can be family. Come back. <laughs> we're not like a family. We are a family. Yes. Yes, we are not like a family. We are a family. Mm-hmm. And, um, I would say even like for me, like the mission isn't just what I do at work. It's not what I'm doing on stage. It mm-hmm. is like how I live every day. Like sure. it is a part of my life. Yeah. Um, it is a part of how I make decisions. It is a part of um, just how I present myself to the world. And so um, what would you say are like some development like barriers that um, pastors may run into and kind of just like developing people like they may see somebody who like kind of trying or Mm -hmm. trying to get there like how can I as a leader bring this person alongside me and develop where they are yeah so I think the the biggest barrier will be persistent discomfort Um, Mm. and you you, that's why you got to like almost move a little bit slow when giving ministry away especially in a cross-culture church because if you're doing it right even the most excited people are a little bit uncomfortable because there's just something about the church, man. If we would just change this one thing, it'd be perfect. Like a lot of members feel that way. Even at rating, like if they would just change this one little thing, like they'd be perfect. But that one little thing isn't for them, right? It's for somebody not like them culturally or theologically or whatever. And so um, you almost got to let people weigh that out. That's the reason we only do like two or three membership classes a year, right? Where a lot of churches do it more often, and that's a good thing. But for us, and this may change, we've just decided, hey, let people experience the church for a while, before we even give them the option to join so they don't get disappointed later. Because there is a level of persistent discomfort that you have to be okay with in an, in a cross-culture church. And you got to, like, as a leader, you have to see how other people respond to that over time. Because a lot of people be really excited at the beginning. Like, oh, man, I love it. It's great. It's diverse. The worship is good. The people are good. Awesome. But in the back of their mind, they're still thinking, ah, man, I wish we would just preach like this. I wish we would just sing that like in the back of their mind, they're still wrestling with maybe the church they came from or their culture expressions. And you almost got to like wait that out and to just see if people are really settling in and they've really resolved to be a part of what we're doing or, are they still struggling internally, but they just, they want to want to be here, but may not want to be here. Right. Um, Cause the, the multi-ethnic church, the uh, cross school church is very attractive, right. In passing. Right very attractive you know the worship the people just looking around room uh, seeing a bunch of different faces like there's something attractive about that but to live there requires a type of endurance and resiliency that some people may have to develop and some people may not have and so um and i believe the holy spirit can give it to everybody but people got to make a choice right and so i, I would say that's part of the barriers is you almost got to move a little bit slower to see if people are really on board or if they just want to want to be on board for sure. Yeah. Like, I want diversity in my life, so I'm going to go to this diverse church. Like, that's not the same thing as actually wanting to be a part of the culture or that being enough for them. And it kind of just makes me think about, like, the things that I'm still super uncomfortable with. Um, but I know that they are, like, for my 
for my good. Mm. Um, and so I'm just like, just say yes. It'll be all right. Like, it's not dangerous. Like, you're not going to get hurt. If anything, you'll grow and you'll be scratched in an area that you otherwise would have never allowed yourself to grow or be scratched in. Um, and so even with groups, because y'all know that's my struggle bus. Yes. <laughs> Everybody knows. Talk about all that. Shout out to the MoCo group. <laughs> yeah, the Moco. <laughs> but yep. like, it's been, it's been different for sure, but it's been good um, to just be able to hear my brothers and my sisters like kind of go through challenges. Um, also, just be there for the good things, be there mm. for the happy things, be there for um, the answered prayers, be there, um, just be there for one another. Um, and it's been different, um, but it's been really good and really healthy for me and really healthy um, for my children. Um so I completely, I understand what you mm. mean when you say <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to kind of be um, comfortable with being uncomfortable. Um, and I would say even as like you've been walking with me, developing me as a leader, um, just with worship and where I was, um, I didn't know hymns. And mm-hmm. so it was uncomfortable being in a, safe, in a space that I needed to own and not know. Yeah. How to do something, not know how to reach a group of people that I've never otherwise been exposed to. Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah, yeah I, I think that's. And you gotta, you gotta wait that out. Like people can put up with a little bit of discomfort for a little bit of time, mm-hmm. but whether that's going to, you know, be something they can, the Lord can ignite their affections for and not just tolerate, but even start to celebrate and even miss when it's not there. That's what you want to see in leaders, right? Is not just tolerating these things, but now I appreciate these things. And if you took it away, I'd miss it, right? Because the Lord has done something in my heart where even if I don't like it, I'd still miss it if it wasn't there, right? Because the Mm -hmm. Lord has done something and how I see those things because of the people attached to it. And so that's what you almost got to see. And and when you need desperately leaders, time is a barrier, right? When you need people today to lead groups, need people today to be over this ministry, you need people today for different things, uh, time becomes a barrier, Yeah. Yeah. I would say even um, as we kind of go into hiring and staff, Mm -hmm. um, could you kind of just talk about what are some of the things that we look for when we're thinking about hiring? Like we need this discipleship position or we need help doing this thing or that thing. Um, What are some of the things that we kind of look for Mm -hmm. prior to interview? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, that's a really good question. So, man, uh, leaders out there, if you if you're hearing, learn from, learn from our mistakes. We haven't always done a good job hiring, right? Um, no, all right, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't we always done it. It it is a fine art and science to to hiring. Um, anyone who's ever hired people like knows that it's it's just hard to master. And so you throw on the layers of intentional diversity and the theological alignment and stuff, and it becomes even harder. So before we hire, so a couple of things we're looking at. One is um, people may be surprised to hear this, but we're not looking at theological depth for a lot of our staff positions, right? Now, if you're a discipleship pastor, yes, Right. right. <laughs> if you're a worship leader, <laughs> yes. But if you're uh, an admin or operations person, like uh, I think we we'd be more willing for people to grow in those things. Um, but what we what we've got to see is one of the things that we hire for is cultural experience. Because here's the thing: uh, we can't control who joins the church, 
but we can control who we pay to be here. Mm-hmm. And so if we're going to control who we pay to be here, <laughs> we need people who have the raw material to thrive in diversity. And here's what I mean by that. The raw material to thrive in diversity is they bring with them a diverse life. Right. A diverse life. Now, um, that means for most of our black and brown brothers and sisters, most of them already have it. Right. Because most black and brown people can't navigate this world without really understanding and knowing majority culture. Right. And so most of them, most of the time, that's the case. But all of our white staff or majority staff, like we need to know more about how they were raised, what sports did they play. Like I need to know more about your life other than your resume. Right. Um, I need to know that you have the raw materials and you've actually experienced diversity in your life and have thrived in that environment. Right. And so I think before we hire, before we look at even competencies, because once again, information competencies can be taught and developed, but life experiences, passions, those things um, can't be taught. And if we're going to pay you to be here, then you need to bring that with you. You need to bring that with you. And so I think having just uh, the raw material for to, to thrive in diverse environments is one. Also, just a uh, we have a very unique staff culture here. Um, and I think every church should have uh, like a staff culture that represents them. And so you got to hire somebody who also is going to fit and thrive in that culture. Right. And so for us, it's man, we love we work really hard, but we also like to have a bunch of fun. And, you know, everyone was really believing, bought in onto the mission. And so we've got to hire somebody that has that type of personality and that type of bent. Because what's most important than any one ministry or team doing well is the whole thing working together, right? And ministry is done by people. And so if the people don't get along, the ministry is impacted. And so I would say those are two things. Before we even do an offer letter, before we even like reach out, like those are at least two things that need to be present before us to, to engage further. I completely agree. Um, I think that we've... I've been in a good bit of interviews where I was like, uh, I think they have everything. They just mm. would not be a really good staff culture fit. Like yeah. this person doesn't um, seem to be able to deal with change well. And we change quickly mm. around here. We um, do. We do. <laughs> Which is hard, right? When you're seeing somebody who's got an immaculate resume. Yeah. And wants to work here. Right. And it, it as once again as a pastor who's hired people like good people are hard to find, and when you when you say no to a good person because of experience or because of alignment, it could you might want to be tempted to talk yourself into it, you know. Um, but if you find yourself talking yourself into it, then that's probably just confirmation that this person is the right person on the team. Yeah, that was a message for somebody for all the single people out there. By the way, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was a side side message from the Holy Ghost. It was right there, right there. Uh, but anyway, that's good. Yeah. Um, what would you say would be like some red flags? Like I'm in this interview. Mm-hmm. Like they're good on paper. I may have had because um, well, for one, we have more than one interview. For sure, we have like a good couple of. We got a couple. We got a good couple of couple. Because <laughs> <laughs> yep. go talk to this person right quick because I need to know. Um, but like in that, um, once they get to, um, and I would say too, just kind of add like all our hiring is different, um, depending on what they're hiring for. I remember when, um, we were kind of hiring for, um, a worship, um, leader before I was like on staff, like that process I think was completely different than any of our other hiring processes. Mm. Um, I don't know why that just came to my mind, but it just did. 
The Holy Ghost is moving over here. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Amen. Right. Bringing back those things to those remembrance. <laughs> but I remember like us having like we had like a, a sit down interview. We also had like don't just sit down. Your next interview, come play. Mm-hmm. Don't just do this. Come play with the team on a Sunday morning service. Like it was a merging yeah. of how this person is able to um, just be effective in these different areas, yeah. even before they were hired on. Yeah. Um, and so we kind of do that um, in each, I guess, infinity or department or whatever we're hiring for. Mm-hmm. Um, could you kind of just speak to how important it is that these people are good fits or even what are red flags? Yeah. Um, so to that, to that point of what we were talking about. So I, that's just a personal leadership Mac, like axiom or truth of mine is people don't know if they can't do. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you can't do the thing, then you don't know the thing. And so I'm, I'm very like <laughs> demonstration based, like, cool. You say you can preach, then I'm not going to ask you, Hey, the, what are the three elements of a sermon? I'm just going to ask you to preach, right? You say you can sing. I'm not going to ask you about chords and melodies and stuff first. I'm going to ask you to sing. Right. And so I believe, uh, anyway, so that's just a, that's just part of my, my just individual leadership style. Um, but the red flags, man, I, I would say red flags are, uh, one is just lack of the fruit of the spirit in conversation. Mm-hmm. Right, man. Love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, kindness, self-control. Like those things need to be visible in your interactions with people. Right. And if they're not visible in your interactions with people, then I got lots of concerns. Right. As you're in your maturity with the Lord and you're fit on the team and all these other things, because in a diverse setting, like you need extra measures of grace. Right. Because people are very different than you and they will oftentimes do things unintentionally that you don't like. And unintentionally, that's going to rub you wrong. And unintentionally, that's going to make you feel uncomfortable or unsafe in some ways. And so without a high level of the fruit of the Spirit operating in your life, um, you will become destructive when those things happen to people around you. Because Mm -hmm. you're a staff member. We've empowered you, given you roles, given you responsibility. And so you will actually become a liability to the mission if you don't personally embody the character necessary um, as measured by the fruit of the Spirit. So, and the fruit of the spirit, as I said in the sermon, is like one of the things that's not a fruit of the spirit is being right, right? That's not a fruit of the spirit is being right. What is a fruit of the spirit is how you respond to wrong. And so, and so that's, I think that's, that's one of the red flags is do I, do I see that in your, in your conversations? Do I hear that from even past employers when I, when I, when we do kind of the background checks, I think another red flag is just a lack of diverse experiences let me say this, a lack of immersive, diverse experiences. So that mission trip that you went on to, that don't count. Right. Right. Like, <laughs> Praise God. You went over there for six weeks, six months, whatever, but you came right back to where, like, yeah. So like if uh, immersive as in this was my life for a season, mm. right? Not this was a interruption for my life. That was a cool experience, but this was my life for a season. Um, I was in this diverse world. It could have been socioeconomically, it could have been um, racially, it could have been culturally, it could have been all those things. But that being your life for a season and you thriving during that period, um, without that, that would be a red flag for me. Mm. If you haven't had any any immersive um, diverse experiences in which you thrived. That's good. Yeah. So, um, so I think a lot of the red flags just follow on the same lines of culture, experiences fit um, a lot of those things. So as we've been talking about just um, staff hiring, 
Um, let's just kind of go like into the church and talk about because um, we have people who help like the havers who mm-hmm. aren't like on staff, paid yeah, on yeah. staff. Lots of leaders. Lots of lots of leaders. Yeah, yeah. Um, could you speak to how we kind of choose who those elders, pastors, our volunteer champions, like what does that process look like? Yeah. So I think elder pastor is very different um, because things that were negotiable at the volunteer level aren't negotiable at the staff level. Things that are negotiable at the staff level aren't negotiable at the elder pastor level. Right. Mm. And so at our church, elder pastor is the same thing. And so we're not talking about two different roles. But so I think the things that are, <laughs> that are open handed with all oh, we can work on or whatever, like they become non-negotiable. Um, at different levels of influence in the church, right? So as a lay leader, it's like, oh man, they're you know, um, they may have not had a ton of diverse life experiences, but they really get what we're doing. They've shown fruit of that, like cool, right? As a staff, that would be a non-negotiable, right? Mm. You just can't work here without those things. Um, but maybe you know, theologically, like you just you know, you disagree on some of our stances on complementarianism or some of these other things, and or maybe it's new to you and you're just growing in it. We would say, okay, that's cool for a staff person, depending on the role, right? If it's not a theologically or teaching role, maybe that's fine, right? We'll work through it. It'll it'll come up. We'll talk through it. It'll be fine. As an elder, like none of, like none of these things are negotiable, right? And so, not only do you need the life experience, not only do you need to have thrived in, in members of diversity, but in every single one of our theological positions, you need to not just agree with, but champion. Like none of our things are, are, are negotiable. You can be a member of our church and disagree with our stance on reformed theology, for example, because we treat it as an open-handed issue. You can't be an elder though, right? right. <laughs> you can't be a pastor here. So every, every one of our theological positions, right, is non-negotiable as an elder. Every single mm. one. There's no open-handed one. There's no diversity of thought when it comes to theology, Right. Because that leads to not just diversity, that leads to actual division, mm. right? Because now as an elder, you have broad purview of of shaping and leading and those things. And so um, if we disagree on the, on the nature of God or how he works in God's people, that's going to play itself out and have ripple effects in the whole church, which is going to lead to division. And so, um, yeah, there's, there's very, our diversity on our eldership team is cultural, is uh, racial, uh, is style, but not theology, not not experience. Right? Mm. You have had to have a diverse life experience. You have to champion, not just agree, tolerate, be willing not to be divisive. But like you have to champion every single one of our theological beliefs. Um, and you might just, you know, you might explain those things differently. You might engage those things differently. You might teach it with your own style. But all of the things become non-negotiable at the elder level, which... Makes it really hard for us to find pastors, by the way. Because <laughs> <So, laughs> you need so much more than you would need at any other church, right? Because I think a lot of pastors would agree with us theologically, right? We don't have a bunch of crazy theology. Like, I know a lot of pastors who agree with us theologically, but don't have the life experience, mm-hmm. right? Don't have the the non-negotiable commitment to diversity, right? Don't have the, like, they don't have the other things on top of that, which makes the people who can actually pastor here, unfortunately, uh, far less common than if we were just a monoethnic church or didn't didn't prioritize some of these things. Mm. So. You're kind of could you talk about because um, you're talking about like not having um, those types of cultural immersions. Like, mm-hmm. what does that look like across the pulpit when you don't? Because I think a lot of people could have lived in a certain 
place, I think, mm-hmm. and still not be immersed in it because it was not a part of their home. Mm-hmm. It might have just been a part of their like school environment or mm-hmm. other types of environment, but not necessarily in the home or taught yeah. in the home or, you know, those types of things. So yeah. um, what would that person who kind of would still qualify on paper um, when they preach or when they are speaking or like what would be kind of the the things that you would look for that may make you pause and be like, mm, I'm not sure about that comment. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think that this comment would make somebody respond a little bit differently across of across a cross culture. Yeah. Like that. Well, a diverse congregation rather. I'm with you. Um, so Brian Ritz in his book, right color, wrong culture. Um, he talks about this C1, C2, C3, mm-hmm. right? Um, the C1 is the person that's culturally assimilated across the lines and uh, across racial lines. And the example is like Carlton, from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, right? A dude who's racially black, but culturally more majority, right? Mm-hmm. Um, then you have C3 on the other end of the spectrum. It's the non-negotiable um, identity, right? Like the Malcolm X, right? This is who I am. I ain't changing for nobody and almost to, to the extreme. Um, then you have the C2 in the middle, which is like a, he, the example he used in the book is like a Will Smith, right? Or Denzel Washington, a person who can kind of blend in between multiple cultures without losing who they themselves are. And so people who have lived in immersive cultural experiences and thrive there will find themselves closer to the C2, Mm. right? So they won't have assimilated across the lines, right? I think we've seen that where someone is, is racially black but culturally not right or they've coached their majority of their preferences. I mean, they're, they're rocking the, the Patagonia like sweater vest and Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, cool. You've been, in white spaces for a long time and may have lost a little bit about who you really were right now that that's who you are. Cool. Right. Um, or the person who on the other end of the spectrum is non-negotiable. This is just how I talk. Right. Like, right. you know what I'm saying? I'm just loud. <laughs> Y'all just got to deal with it. Right. Or, you know, that's just not how I worship or that's just, you know what I'm saying? Like the person yeah. who's not willing to make any sense of compromise in their expression, in their preference, in their engagement, with the world around them. And then you have folks who are closer to the middle who actually, and this is one of the things that I, that I look for is they actually see value in things that they disagree with. And that'll come Mm. up a conversation is like, I don't do it that way, but I had a friend who did it that way. And it really worked for her. Like she saw like value or he saw value in indifference. And it was experientially like I, I'm, I, you know, I'm homeschooling my kids, but I know a friend who said, you know, who intentionally sent their kids to public school and that actually, and I really appreciate that, you know, or, mm-hmm. Hey, I voted for this person, but a good friend of mine voted another way. And we have lots of conversations about it. We're still friends, right? Those types of comments are like C2 comments. That's, I know who I am, but not only do I see the value in difference, but I even have people in my life that are different. And they're still in my life, right? And so that that's kind of an, some examples of what we're looking for. Um, now, once again, we want to see that in our volunteers. It has to be present in some form or fashion for staff, but it becomes a hard non-negotiable for elders in, in other places. But those are some of the things that we're looking for is, are there some C2 comments or experiences or things that they say that communicates to me that they value difference they have relationships with people who are, are different and they themselves are a little bit different because of the spaces that they inhabit. So those mm. are the things I'm looking for. 
Mm, that's good right there. I would say um, just like as you were talking and just me having in my mind the type of elder board that we have, which is um, it runs already by itself a little bit differently. It's not very vertical. It's horizontal. Um, and you guys kind of um, work in your own individual spaces that you own versus pastor, head pastor, lead pastor, vice, you know, yeah. all the things. Plurality of elders. We're, we're, fan, we're, we're fans of it. Yep. Yes, the big words. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. I would, to the person who wants this um, mm-hmm. and wants a diverse elder board, what would you say would be some of the topics that you guys would have to talk about as far as um, agreeing, like how do you come to agreeing outside of theology, of course, Mm -hmm. Um, but how would you come to an agreement on decision-making? Yeah. So I think that's that's why who's on the team is important because if there's, if there's theological misalignment, and even convictional misalignment, like people are not as committed to what we're doing as other people, then reaching a decision is always going to be a fight. Just always, right? Um, but our current uh, eldership team, which is actually changing and expanding recently, um, almost all of our decisions have been unanimously decided upon. Mm. Right? We don't really vote on stuff, right, as elders. If, if somebody doesn't feel comfortable, we just keep talking, right? Because we know we are aligned in the things that matters. And if you don't agree yet, then it's probably something we should explore. We should mm-hmm. explore further. And so if you're a pastor out there, a leader, a church planner, who's trying to build this, then be non-negotiable upfront, which actually leads to a lot of compromise on the back end. Right? So there's some decisions when we were talking about the radiant, reimagined stuff uh, before we, we launched that um, there was a lot of disagreement in the elder room around how to do that. And so we kept talking until there was agreement. Mm -hmm. And the reason is we know that there's alignment theologically. There's alignment around conviction and purposes. There's alignment around all the things that matter. So now the disagreement isn't from a place of division. The disagreement is from a place of you see something that I don't yet see. And I want to see that too. Mm. And so, um, so if you're, if you're non-negotiable on the front end, if you're like almost to the point of being rigid, like any little crack of daylight between what I think is true and what you think is true, then just stop. Like any crap, mm. right? Um, because if you fight for that alignment up front, then every disagreement after that isn't division. It's just healthy disagreement, which actually makes everybody better because we all agree on the things that matter. And so um, I think so. that's how we've, we've decided things. And that's the result of just being non-negotiable on the front end. Yeah. I was mostly asking because I'm really nosy. And yeah. that's like. <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to be in the room. <laughs> Exactly. I feel like that's one of the rooms that like I'm never in. I was like, oh, they be in there so long. What are they talking about? Like, I want to know. We've been praying for y'all. That's what we've been there for. That's why it be so so long. We've been there praying for y'all. And uh, anyway, so as we as we wrap up, like man, uh, any final questions around leadership development? I think the questions you've asked been really good, and hopefully it's been helpful to our listeners. Any any final things that we should cover? I wanted to give actually a comment about what you just said mm-hmm. because even though like we're not in the room, um, I would say that the meetings that we have in our ops meetings, it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Like because we are in agreement, like our biggest thing is that we um, have to discuss the most is how. 
Yeah. How are we going to do that? And um, how it affects different groups of people. Mm-hmm. So um, can we do it this way? No, we can't do that because this is going to this is not going to be OK for this group of people. And like we keep doing that mm-hmm. until we get to what we whatever the outcome is, which usually makes everybody equally uncomfortable, which yeah. is OK. Yeah. But it's not OK to like only this one group of people. Yeah. Is not okay. So thank you for that insight. That was pretty cool. That was pretty cool. Yeah. (laughs) Y'all, hopefully this has been helpful. uh, Conversation uh, hosted by, not taken over by, (laughs) hosted by Courtney (laughs) Larray on uh, leadership. We thought it'd be helpful for her to come in. She's one of our longest standing members. She's seen all the ups and the downs and all the transitions. So, um, but that's a little bit how about how we do leadership here at Radiant, but also just some principles for any church that wants to be a cross-cultural church um, about around alignment, around clarity. I mean, these things are very, very important about resiliency, around patience. I mean, developing leaders is non-negotiable. You've got to do it as a pastor. You've got to equip the saints for the work of ministry. But it can be hard. It can be hard in a cross-cultural space, but not impossible, but not impossible. So pray for future leaders, be looking for future leaders, and be patient before you promote future leaders. And I think if you do those two things, you'll be headed in the right direction. I agree. Amen. So hopefully it's been helpful. Go to crossculturecollective.com, submit your question, comments, concerns. We would love to continue to address what you want us to talk about as you seek to be part of a multi-ethnic church planting movement. So, Courtney, thank you as always. Later. All right. Take care, y'all. Hey, thanks for joining our conversation today. This podcast is a resource of the Cross Culture Collective. If you want to learn more about who we are or what we're up to, you can visit us online at crossculturecollective.com or on all the socials at the Cross Culture Collective.